Dispatch Boys. Overlooking Phoenix. From high above in the Star Worldwide Network Studios. Badge Boys. Stories, insight, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. And now, here they are, the Badge Boys. Welcome back to another edition of the Badge Boys, the show where two retired cops talk to the community. I'm retired Crime Stopper Sergeant Darren Birch. I'm retired Phoenix Police Officer Jason Schechterly. And we have a great show. And I know I say that every week, right? We do. We do. But every week, it just keeps getting better. Yeah. We have, and I like to call him Danimal. It's Dan Spencer, but he's part Dan, but all animal. This guy was SWAT. Uh, he, was, he was SWAT leader, a team leader. Uh, he's a Marine. That says, that says it all right there. Mm. Uh, stellar career. If he can have issues in, as it relates to PTSI, and we call it PTSI. I don't think it's a disorder. No, it's, it's an, an injury. injury. It's, Absolutely. It's, it's not a disorder. Especially what this man has seen. This, 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 I call him a, a, a meat eater. Yeah, yeah. This is one of the meat eaters. Yeah. Uh, so without further ado, I want to welcome Dan, uh, Danimal Spencer to the show. Dan, Thank you, welcome. Darren. Thank you, Jason. Glad to be here. You know, the first question we always ask is Jason's, because Jason's love of police officers, uh, it goes to the heart of our show. He is truly the heart of our show. Well, something that means so much to me and has carried me through a lot of dark days from my critical incident is to never forget, never lose sight of who you were and the why. And I always want to know truly why the, the first box on the piece of paper, what's your name? Why'd you put your name on the application? There was a couple good reasons. Um, you know, a lot of people seem to want to interact with that community service part of it. And that's important. Me, I, I wanted to catch pure evil. Literally, that's it. Um, I wanted to go out. I wanted to be the one that was willing to risk it, willing to do it. Um, I also wanted to prove to myself that I could do this. You know, I, th- I felt there was a, a challenge inside the Marine Corps. I missed that camaraderie that you know, after I got out, I missed that brotherhood, that tight unity stuff, working in the, the normal workforce. And so police work was where it was catching at. Catching bad guys. Yeah, yeah. Ca- catching, catching bad real guys bad guys. And it's yeah. really, yeah. there's nothing like wearing a uniform that somebody else is also wearing. There's the, yeah. the camaraderie that you speak of. There's when you break that down, there, there there's no feeling, but I was in, <laughs> I couldn't do the Marines. I was in the air force. Uh, Which is also kind of military. Kind of. Kind, well, he was in the army, so he likes to tease me. So <laughs> Here we go. I couldn't, do, I couldn't do either one of those. Instead and I'm of not a the air, the air force rocks and it was a beautiful four years, but <laughs> seriously, wearing, military putting service, on, yeah. putting on a uniform and having a sense of duty, that those aren't just cliches that it does mean something. So thank you. Yeah. No yeah. To take it. it a step further, that uniform was also representative to a certain group of people. I wanted to catch that they wanted to avoid that uniform. And oh, so, yeah. you know, oh, that's yeah. kind of that other part of that was, <laughs> is turn the rocks over and find them. You know, as a squad sergeant, you wanted a diverse squad. You wanted your, what I call the meat eaters. I kind of refer to Danimal as a meat yeah. eater. You're the ones that would go out proactive, catch bad guys. That's what your whole mission in life was, if you will. Uh, then you had the ones that like chasing the, the radio. I was kind of like that. I just liked helping people. I was the little boy scout wanting to <laughs> help people across the street, even when they, when they didn't want to help. So when I think about your career, I can't help but think that you would have been one of those that when you raise your hand, you're also thinking about SWAT. Because yeah. when I was in the Army, I was with 101st, I thought I would go that route, you know, repelling and so forth. But I found I just love detective work. Talk about that love of SWAT, if I'm even on target, or am I way wet? 
No, you're spot on. Um, so obviously got great fulfillment early on. I think I was on the agency maybe three years. I, I had the bare minimum time on to go into SWAT. And so um, it was a very interesting thing. My wife and I had the discussion and she's like, God, you want to do some more dangerous stuff on top of the dangerous stuff? And I said, listen, at that time, I think we had 45 personnel on the team. I said, I'm with the most motivated, highly trained, most the best equipped people you know, in the city, why would you not want me with them versus out on my own, you know, by myself, um, taking calls and doing all those things with, you know, a lot less support. And so she's like, all right, that makes sense. But if you do this, let's do this and let's get this in one shot. And so the testing process was a pretty challenging as one, as many be. of them are. And so I went all in, she took the kids, went back to Hawaii where she's from and stayed with her uh, parents and I trained for three or four months solid, wow. everything I could do to get on the team. So it meant a lot to get on that team um, and be part of that. Talk about that team. Your first day, your first weeks, your first month. Kind of talk about that. It's very military-esque. You're the boot, the rookie, right? You know, oh, yeah. Yeah, you go are. Go get the water rookie, you know, and all those <laughs> kinds of things. And that's part of it. I, I think that's a great part of it. The, I don't know. You call it hazing if you want. I call it just earning your, you know, cutting your there's teeth. There's a camaraderie yeah. with it too. Yeah. There really is. Because yeah. there's a lot of fun it. play involved in that. Yeah. Uh, what about the first, I hate to use the word call, the first call to duty in, in terms of, you know, whether it be a barricade, whether it be a hostage, whatever. Do you have that story, that first, or is it just a blur now looking back? No, I can I can think of early on there was um, a double murder case where the the female suspect was barricaded inside with one of the deceased and one of the deceased was out on the front doorstep. So this is quite a few years ago. So the whole thing I'm sure has been resolved in court, but she had killed uh, one of the people outside and I had to, they were like, rookie, grab a emergency blanket. She's on the phone with the negotiators and, and it's freaking her out, looking out her window, seeing that dead body. I'm like, well, she killed him. So <laughs> probably ought to freak her out a little bit, amazing. right? And so they're like, hey, we're going to send up a team. We'll put a couple shields up and you're going to cover that body up. Oh my I'm like, God. all right, okay. So my back is turned to the fifth wheel trailer, which provides a ton of cover for all you cops that know what I'm talking about, right? And I could actually see her looking out the window at me. And I'm like, God, my back is exposed to her and I'm covering this body up. She killed this guy. You know, well, we think at that right, time, right, that's right. the information. And no one had given her target. Right. And she had given us no reason not to believe. And she was armed. Um, she had fired at the robot when it tried to open the door and, you know, some of those things. And so I think it was that early on was a call that I knew this is real. This isn't a game. And you got to prepare for this. Was that those <clears throat> sort of scenarios common or were they kind of the, the you know, off wheel, if you will, you know, was that something that it seemed like was copying a lot too much or a lot of small departments, you know, those things are once in a blue moon. How often did you kind of see that type of activity? You know, the emotional unstable, usually there's some kind of substance involved in it. That happened all the time. We had barricades with suicides or, you know, people that are in emotional crisis or mental crisis all the time. We got really good at them. I think most law enforcement across the country has gotten really good at recognizing when we take action and when we sit back and try to work this thing out. Yeah. yeah. And so we did too. We put a lot of effort into making sure we didn't go overboard or, you know, try to evaluate. Oftentimes though, it seemed like every couple of years um, you get the one, right? The one where it's like they're cranking rounds off and firing it. And anything and everything, and then they come out and they engage the police, which ends tragically most of the time for 
you know, for them. And let's talk a little bit about that. Um, I had the benefit, I'm going to get ahead of myself here and talk a little bit about your podcast, which we'll kind of get into the end of the interview. But I was listening to one of your podcasts and you talked about particular shooting and you've been in a few shootings, you know, myself, I've been shot three times, but only was able to return fire once. Um, You were in multiple shootings. Can you talk about that aspect and then specifically that case I'm referring to where um, somebody kind of dropped the ball and a family member came up and approached you in a crime scene. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in um, two as the person applying lethal force, but in total five up close and personal and had some part in the um, one was a sniper initiated assault. um, And I think the other two were barricades. But the first one was um, I was probably nine or 10 years on the agency. Um, and I just left undercover, went back to patrol. So I was, I was at that point where I wasn't a rookie, but I was pretty confident in my skills and I'm kind of doing my own thing. And they send a call, Hey, woman just texted her son, um, that goodbye. And this is it. And kind of that, you know, that suicidal thing that we hear. And so yeah. the son called and wanted to check welfare on, on the mom. She was in her 50s. I get there, knock on the door. She does the who is it? Hey, it's the police. Your son called us. We're, you know, we'd like to see if you're okay. Da, 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 da. We're talking. I can't see her. And uh, she says, go away. Okay. I'm like, all right, well, I notify supervisor because it's one of those. She's making suicidal comments um, to her son. And uh, I, the son wasn't there. So I don't know where the son came into play. I think there was a neighbor that was also involved that she might have been dating at the time that was also a caller um and so we had multiple callers long story short we're now with a supervisor and a couple more people trying to negotiate to get her to come out and and so that we can help her and she fires around um we find out later she fired through the carport door where we were standing we didn't know that we just dove for cover because it was close it was very close and then the house went quiet so we thought she self-inflicted and so we're like, okay, if she's self-inflicted, she's down. Now we have a duty to provide medical care, but we got to do this safely. So we opted in that area, the carport in the front room, we broke out the front window with some shields and I was on the rifle and I was kind of looking inside the house to see it was kind of dimly lit at night and so forth. And she appears around the corner and points the gun and oh, right at me and we're about to, you know, exchange gunfire. And so I end up shooting and applying force. Um, and she drops out of sight and the team starts to make entry. Now, what I didn't know, and this becomes a real big catalyst point for me that I didn't know at the time, her son had arrived and was on containment with one of the containment officers who did a really poor job. Yeah. Um, I didn't know the son was there, but as I come off gun and I'm kind of standing back and they're in the house, I'm taking a big breath. This is my first shooting. And I'm thinking to myself, what did I just do? I had a lot of things going on because the monster that we're trained on didn't look like a monster. Yeah. It was a 50-year-old woman wearing a nursing outfit, uh, right? As mom. Yeah. And so that really played havoc in my mind in the seconds right of the shooting and after. And then this guy runs up, you shot my mom, you shot my mom. And, um, and I, I can remember that in my head. And I thought wow, okay, who is this guy? What, what is this? I, I felt like it was just nothing made sense. Surreal. Yeah, nothing made sense. So everything ends up justified. Everything is good. I wish that call would never happened. You know, Clearly. You know, I wish she would have opted for us helping her. And I think 
there were, well, to make it worse, uh, that was a deputy's handgun. It was her oh. husband, her, her previous, um, her husband had been de- deceased for a while, but that he was a deputy in that jurisdiction at one time. And so that was a deputy's revolver. I mean, there was just so many weird wow. things with that wow. whole incident. And, um, so I stowed that away and here's where locked it down. Yeah. Here's where I really came to fruition in my podcast. And what I was doing was you push forward, right? You as a cop, you're like tomorrow I got business. I got training. I got going things to mode. do. Yeah. Go into cop mode. And, uh, I never really, I never really dealt with that. I never really dealt with what he said and what I saw. What helped me a lot was actually going to uh, bulletproof mind. Um, I think mindset, I think by Colonel uh, Grossman. Yeah. Shortly had thereafter, and I really kind of dove into yeah. what what the mind sees and how it reacts, and I spent the next ten years going through that. But I still didn't deal with the emotional side of any of that um, that had occurred. So fast forward in 2019, I finally have pushed it too hard, too long. Now, how many Damn. years later is this now? Uh, so this is probably nine or ten years later. Almost a decade later. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot. Now, of I had no up. problems, no triggers at. Flashback. I had some issues, but right, I didn't right, have right. Any. But we call them issues. <laughs> yeah, I, I in 2016 I ended up with Graves' disease, which um, was a thyroid overactive thyroid, um, and it was all stemming from stress, work stress. Anxiety. We got a new chief in who turned the, the the agency upside down, and and there were some lots of things going on and turmoil. Yeah, and then I went to the in service training part, which was very busy, but I wasn't doing SWAT anymore, and I wasn't doing undercover, and that's when it all hit. And that's when it all it came out. It seems like it does. When the dust settles, when you're no longer yeah. in cop mode, you're in weak mode, for lack of a better word. You have time to think. Yeah, because that um, tea kettle has been on the burner forever, yeah. and the pressure's building, 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 and then all suddenly, you know, you can you can acknowledge it. So what, what was that catalyst? What happened that were you self-diagnosed yourself saying, I need some help? Yeah, so there I did. I reached out, um, went to a therapist, but there were some moments before that that got really ugly. Um and it, it was even worse for me in the sense of my own mind. It was like, you, you, you're a Marine. You're a SWAT team leader. You've worked undercover. Why are you sitting here on the side of your Suck bed breaking down? What is your problem? You know, and I called myself some other names that we sure. can't say. But, you know, stop yeah. doing this. And, um, it, you know, I really understood depression at that point because it was like a toilet bowl swirling and I could not get out of it. No matter what I thought about no matter where I was, um, it was just, you know, there were so many things going on. And then, so I, for me, I, one of the greatest things that came out of that, um, and there were a few, but that I really have a compassion and understanding and empathy for folks that have that depression. I understand it now. I understand. Yeah, makes sense. You ask yourself, why would they kill themselves? They have kids and they have this and that. And, but you, I understand it now. Yeah, I understand. I, I talked with Dave Grossman about that. And I talked about this is something that, the human, the human as an animal does not want to die, right? Right. As animals, you know, they avoid danger, but we're a weird animal. Our DNA as cops, we run into danger. So for us to get to that point is, it's a breaking point, literally a breaking point. So what happened as far as your breaking point? How did you get help? Was there, sometimes it's the wife or some family member, because we don't kind of talk with our brothers and sisters about these things yeah so i think the key the key points for me where i became aware of where i was at was um i was not a pleasant person to be around by anybody uh for for several years and that should have been a big indicator um and my wife said one night i love you i want to stay married to you but if you're going to continue to be an a-hole 
this much, I don't want to be around you. Yeah, and the kids the shouldn't guy. be around you. And I was kind of like taken back. It was that moment. And my, my wife is, a, you know, like most wives in, in law enforcement, significant others, there's, there's a sounding board and yeah. a lot of logic in there. And so that hit me. Um, and there were two moments where I had started the planning phase of the suicide in this time frame. And, oh my God. and so, and it was kind of weird because I was in my mind and I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I want to make sure it doesn't burden anyone, but I want to be found. And I started all these things cause I just felt completely useless. And at this point, and so, um, and then I don't know what I did, but I turned and like the kids picture my kids, it was, it was on like the mantle in our bedroom. And I just kind of stared at it for a few minutes. And I, I remembered from um, a previous incident as a young man, a friend of mine killed himself and, out of high school and how that impacted me. Like, why did you do that to yeah. me? I didn't, you know. And do that to everyone else. Yeah, why yeah. did you do that? And so I think that changed my perspective. Like, okay, you need to get help. There is a way out of this. There is, you know, there is more stuff to this. And I leaned on some good friends. I can't speak highly enough about peer support. Yeah. Real people that have been there that listen and um, peer support was really, really just a a sounding board for a friend, a buddy check, you know? And when you talk about peer support, that's what you did with this podcast. And I want to talk a little bit about the podcast also, but I also want to talk about your co-host that couldn't be here today. Uh, And he's a really great guy because he was in the army. So (laughs) yeah, yeah. Great guy. Great guy. Uh, You know, go army. Talk about him and how his journey connected with yours because he was a uh, homicide detective and much like my dear friend Jason, he had to be at a scene dealing with a fallen officer. Um, And I've never had to go to an autopsy of a fallen officer. Jason has. I can't even imagine that. I can't imagine Mm -hmm. what... Kurt has done. So talk a little bit about Kurt, if you would. Yeah. So Kurt, um, Kurt and I became instant friends. Um, I own a coffee business and that's, that became a, um, right before the, the 2019 breakdown, I had started a hobby of coffee coffee. And that was kind of what I was working on. And so I own a coffee business, full on store. We do all our stuff and Kurt comes in and he's wearing a, a sheriff's a Pima County Sheriff's Department a uniform. And he comes in and um, he's like, Hey, I just wanted to stop by, see your place. It's in our district. And, um, it, instantly, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but you can tell another veteran cop who's had struggles. You can, I mean, I, I could see it on him and I think he could see it on me. And I said, Hey, um, you know, where do you, you know, where do you work? You know, what are you doing? He's like, Oh, I'm working patrol. And, you know, one thing led to another, and he kind of told me a story. And his story basically is he's been, you know, obviously their first one on scene at a fallen officer. Um, he's been in multiple shootings, a lot, lots of different stuff. He's a very active cop that, you know, kind of gets into some stuff. And it all culminated for him. And, you know, he ends up medically retiring um, with a PTSI kind of um, set on that. And so he's been retired for, um, you know, a few months. He retired late last year. And now he and I do the podcast because we basically said, Hey, yeah, you, you know this and I know that and right. let's share this with Dynamic everyone else. Duo. Yeah. I love it. And tell us about this podcast. What's it called and where can people listen to it? Yeah. So the coffee company is called filthy pirate coffee. And I always wanted to stay connected to that because they, the two inter intertwine and it's talking filthy police podcast. You, you had Jason with talking. Yeah, yeah, it catches people right away. Cause they're like, <laughs> yes. and, well, I've had some people say, 
oh, I thought this was something. I was like, no, it's not that. <laughs> not that filthy. <laughs> yeah. We, it's a little explicit, but, you know, it's not. It's not real. Like yeah. Our goal is just to be a conduit for resources and people that are out helping cops to pass that on to other cops. Hey, did you know there's a group that does X, Y, Z? Or did you know heart disease is killing cops, you know, uh, at an astounding rate? Yeah, everything. Anything that can help police, period. Whatever makes them healthy. And how long have you been doing this podcast? We started it last year this time. um, And it was basically me trying to figure out how to use equipment. Um, And then someone... We started telling our story, kind of what I already told you. And he said, afterwards, you really need to do this. That's the mantra. You're good at it. You need to do it. It helps cops. You're already, you know, kind of in that lane. I was like, all right. I was really nervous. No one had known my story. Wow. No one knew that. Uh, Anything, maybe a couple real close friends. And so I was like, well, on this podcast, you're going to expose this. And are you ready for that? So I had to spend the next year, last year, digesting all of this. And the podcast actually was very therapeutic for me because I got to hear all these other amazing stories of people that made it through. Um, folks that, you know, had some really big, significant challenges, but made it. And so that gave me strength and kind of working through that. And then I thought, well, if I can share that, and I had actually another cop say, oh my God, this big Marine guy that was on SWAT and involved in all this stuff had issues. We can all have issues. And I, I thought that moment was real clear for me. In the year that you've done it, in the last question, is there a story that you know for a fact that has helped a brother or sister out there that went, whoa, your podcast changed a lot? Yes, I can think of, uh, we did an episode with a local therapist talking about EMDR and how effective that is. Um, and we got really good responses from that one folks saying i have not tried it but i'm going to because i've listened to this and it's given me some reassurance that there's a chance it could work it's it's a great podcast i've listened to it uh, talking filthy police podcast and also you're uh, you, you also provide um revenue if you will to various police causes based on your coffee uh, we business. do do you not we do. We, we had a charity coffee um, that we did, and the proceeds from that coffee went back into gift cards and things that we were doing for um, in really kind of close in our community. Um, what we did this year, we expanded it, um, and we are now have a coffee line that um, does the same thing, but it's under the Eric Height Foundation. So Eric Height was a police officer in Tucson that was murdered in 2008 in a shootout, and his wife and the time after uh, his death had started this foundation and it basically provides daycare and spousal services for first responders. Wow, that's so the awesome. proceeds of this coffee, which is due to launch this week, will go back to her under an actual 501c3 and all that type of stuff. So fantastic. Yeah. I cannot thank you enough for being on the show, but God, thank you for putting that podcast and getting the word out, helping our brothers and sisters, because there's some good organizations that really have a lot of conduits but there's some that don't. And we definitely, it's, it's, we've lost too many to right. suicide. Yes. Know that about it. We'll be right back after this break with some more Badge Boys. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Badge Boys. We'll be back right after this. If you like the Badge Boys, you'll love their books. Starting with Burning Shield, the Jason Schechterly story, which Arizona Diamondbacks president Derek Hall proclaimed, Jason is an inspiration, and his story must be read and shared. 
The professionally written novel is a powerful biography chronicling Jason's gut-wrenching battle to health after being trapped in a fireball that consumed his police car and his high-stakes legal showdown against the Ford Motor Company for their explodingly lethal Crown Victoria police cruisers. Then there's Darren's award-winning Twisted But True book trilogy with close to 100 compelling and funny true crime stories that American detectives with Lieutenant Joe Kenda producer called the perfect blend of humor, heroism, and honor. And retired Colonel Dave Grossman declared, Darren's twisted but true books are hilarious, deep, and powerful. Each book in the series received the Pinnacle Award for the best true crime book, and a story from book two was featured on an ID Channel television show. And Robin's most recent book, Soul Stirrings, reviewed as an often humorous and spiritually uplifting story of a widow's soul-searching pilgrimage to the afterlife. Darren called it a love story, a ghost story, an investigative story. It's a story like no other. And Robin's first book, Victim No More, where she shares her harrowing experiences with rape and domestic violence as Robin takes the reader on a very personal journey through the morass of abuse and loss, and ultimately, survival. These Badge Boy books should be on everybody's top 10 reading list. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Welcome back to Badge Boys, everybody. Darren, that uh, that segment just epitomizes for me. So I was thinking that while we were talking to Dan, it's easy to get caught up in the minutia of these critical incidents, right? Yeah. Every call... Every critical incident has its own little details. I can't imagine things like, you know, having to shoot a woman, having a, her son yelling at you. But the overall thing that Dan really brought home was, you know, here's a here's a Marine, here's a SWAT guy. He looks tough. I'd be proud to go on any call in any dark alley oh, with him. You can back me up anytime. But it's okay to be vulnerable. You have it's to be. Okay you to have let. To be go and that's what everybody out there who goes through uh and not you know it's easy on this show to say especially cops but everybody goes through stuff in life you lost your son darren not in the line of duty right right and right. you just as a human being as right. a father it's okay to be vulnerable and we've had so many great guests over the years but dan just brought that home and Good i love you so great thank heart. you as always for bringing on a great guest and now uh let me hear some crazy stories uh, and laws around the world. You know, I always bring it to the ballads because you are the heart and, of heroism and uh, our inspiration. You're the heart of the show, but I'm the bowels of the show, my friend. And we have loony laws around the world. Some of these laws may seem absolutely ridiculous, while others may be based on cultural differences, but they are all hard to believe. And since they are all true, it's best that you know the loony laws around the world before you travel to some far off distant land and discover you violated the law by bringing your Winnie the Pooh book to school. That's right, Winnie the Pooh is an outlaw in Poland. Uh, yeah, this is absolutely true. Uh, this is not a, a Polak joke. Um, you, we look at that cuddly little Winnie the Pooh, and unfortunately, the Polish kids look at it also, and the problem being, he has no pants. Pooh has no pants. He is absolutely pantless, and even as cute as he is, it's too risque for the children and the impressionable Polish children, or so the Polish government thinks. Um, you know, so again, for those who don't know who I'm talking about, Winnie the Pooh, um, we have a composite 
of the poo, the wanted winning, and that is the composite. So take a look. You're in Poland. Beware. Uh, he's either pantless because, you know, he's tough on times maybe, he's in a shitty situation, Mr. Pooh, or he is a sexual predator. So be careful if you're in Poland of the Pooh. Uh, now speaking of bears, real bears, uh, it's illegal to wrestle a bear in South Africa. Yeah, it's true. It's absolutely ridiculous because there are no bears in South Africa. There is no bears in South Africa, but they have this law prohibiting bear wrestling in South Africa. Now, it makes sense if it was lions. You had, like, you know, no wrestling lions because there's lions in South Africa. But uh, there is no bear. So it's a ridiculous law. I don't know where they came up with it. I got to think that anyone who would do this is maybe, you know, suicide by bear. I don't know. But I think it kind of cleans the gene pool. So I kind of applaud them. That's what you're, if that's what you're into, you want to wrestle bears, I say, you know, don't prohibit it. Let the gene pool, you know, win itself out and get rid of these uh, macho bear wrestlers. Um, and that is the loony laws around the world. I've taken you to the bowels of our show. And now I'm going to leave it to Jason to take us to the heart of heroism. Darren, I got to tell you, I'm I'm a little bit concerned because I happen to love Winnie the Pooh. Okay. And okay. I'm like all t- all Tigger, no Eeyore type okay. person. I love okay. Pooh. I have stuffed animals. I have the books, and you're He's telling honey. me I can't, so He's I can't go to Poland pot. and uh, carry yeah. that. But the sign you have for I'm kind of proud of that. Don't wrestle yeah, a I'm bear. Yeah, I'm proud of that. Is, yeah. You're, it's you're proud wrestling. of it yeah. because you created it? I created it, and yes, it looks like that body may be... It doesn't look there's like... There's some sexual in- innuendos going. I will well, agree and that. I'll being that, that you created it, I'm not surprised. <laughs> it's, it's slightly offensive, and it's stupid. So that's all that matters. This week's heroic headline comes to us from Chatham County, Georgia. And you all know i just like to highlight what I consider the, the simple everyday calls, and this is about an officer named Joseph Robertson. Darren, this individual saved not one, but two lives in the same 18-hour period. Wow. And that part is pretty rare. It is. The first incident took place toward the end of his overnight shift around 4 a.m. He was dispatched to a hit-and-run call, and when he got there, one of the cars was on its side, smoking. The officer ran up with no regard for his safety, went into that car, into the fire, to help free the trapped driver. He was able to free the individual. Unfortunately, the driver suffered uh, severe burns, but at least I can say, you know what? Be patient, it's worth it. Just be thankful that your life was saved. The officer goes home, sleeps for a little while, comes back for his next night shift, and his first call, this time, is for an unresponsive woman. Officer Robertson gets there. She's got a faint pulse, faint breathing, but with his training and all the calls, he recognized that it was probably a drug-induced situation. Uh-huh. So he took out his Narcan. He, uh, he Narcaned her, started CPR until paramedics arrived, saved and she regained consciousness and completely saved her life. Again, everyday calls that officers Go on, you never know when you're going to be put in a situation, but Officer uh, Joseph Robinson, Chatham County, you are all heroes for this week. So thank you very much, and keep doing what you're doing. For this week's inspirational message, this comes out of Houston, Texas. And listen, after you hear this story, if you are not better off or feel inspired, please check your own pulse, (laughs) because this is one of the best stories I've heard in a long time. 
A 10-year-old boy battling cancer made the decision that he wanted to be sworn in as an honorary police officer at not one, but a hundred different police agencies. Devar J. Daniel, better known as DJ, opted for something not many kids his age, again, he's 10 years old, would do while battling cancer. He decided that he wanted to be a police officer. Not with one agency, a hundred different agencies. DJ's goal started after meeting the Freeport Police Chief, Ray Garvey. Chief Garvey has a spot in his heart for helping children with deadly diseases, and he had sworn in a little girl battling kidney cancer as an honorary police officer, and then he took this little girl everywhere with him. After hearing of this girl's courageous fight against cancer, DJ decided that he was not only going to follow in her footsteps, but he was going to be sworn in at a hundred different agencies. DJ said part of the reason why he chose to do this was to honor Abigail, who sadly lost her fight with cancer. It was something that he noted while at a mass swear-in ceremony, saying, quote, I am proud of her, I am proud of my own self, and if I'm proud of her, then she's proud of me. DJ was not only able to meet his goal of being sworn in at a hundred different agencies, but he was also sworn in as a chief of police. DJ's father, Theo Daniel, spoke about what the accomplishment meant and said, quote, I knew he was going to get to 10 pretty quick. I know how this community is and law enforcement, like the military for myself. I do appreciate everyone coming out to support him. This is exactly why he has the push to fight harder. Daniel added that DJ knows how serious his cancer is. He knows that his time may be limited, but he is not letting it set him back or anything. No matter how hard it is, no matter how tough it gets, you can push through it and get through it. DJ's father also told officers, you know, a lot of things have happened to law enforcement. Morale is low, but here comes this 10-year-old boy and everyone's spirits are picking up. Listen, if this 10-year-old boy can fight through brain and spine cancer to achieve his goals and not give up, then all of us can do a little something to better ourselves. Credit to our guests. Thanks again to Dan. What a great story. I encourage you to learn more about his story, listen to the Talking Filthy Police podcast. Make this day a little better than you found it. Believe in yourself, smile at somebody, change a life. Do the best you can. Don't give up. God bless you all. Be safe. See you next week. Batch Boys. Thanks for listening to Batch Boys. <laughs> Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Batch Boys. Heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Batch Boys.